today on Agnius Daily. I think that the Kansas Wheat Quality Tour basically confirmed what we had already feared. You know, they've, they've got a multiple-year drought out there. I mean, we've kind of seen it uh, uh, dictate the trade uh, for the last 18 months. Listeners, welcome back to the Agnews Daily Podcast. Starting off a new fresh week, May 22nd, 2023. Getting the Market Monday episode out of the way early in the week. You ready to get into it, Delaney? I am. Tanner, did you have a good weekend? I did. Spent a lot of time outside. Uh, graduations and softball and uh, just being around, chasing kids, birthday parties. <laughs> Absolutely. We get, We played a nice round of golf yesterday and i'm not gonna lie i had the best shot of my life so we had a good weekend too <laughs> that's like uh fish stories right the yeah. ball just keeps getting closer and closer to the hole every time you tell it i think that's a good way to good way to frame it <laughs> well that's good I don't have a lot of weather updates we missed some of our storm chances this last weekend there still are some southern plains areas looking at large hail and damaging winds coming their direction. Strong to severe thunderstorms could be possible through today. Slow storm motion may cause some localized flash flooding in those areas. Of course, we're continuing to watch the eastern part of Iowa and northern part of Illinois for flooding along the Mississippi River. The river at Burlington, Iowa, was at 15.9 feet at 3 a.m. this morning and is expected to finally drop below flood stage, which is the 15-foot level on Thursday. And then it will be closer to 14-foot by Sunday. So it looks like we could be getting out of flood warning stage by the end of the week. I saw some headlines there as well, related to that, Tanner, uh, looking like the Mississippi River is crested in quite a few places, and things hopefully will come back down. But last week, we had the Kansas wheat tour going on, where we got some numbers as to what production will look like coming out of the field. And today, Reuters had an interesting article talking about Kansas farmers abandoning wheat fields after they've dealt with some extreme drought uh, the article goes on to talk about that quite a few farmers are now intentionally spraying wheat with crop killing chemicals and claiming insurance payouts rather than trying to push forward with any sort of harvest. They're saying the cost of harvest uh, just doesn't weigh out and it's a simpler route for a lot of folks just to simply abandon those acres and file insurance claims. But that certainly could lead to some lower wheat production numbers this year. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see how many acres of abandonment we actually see here towards, you know, into the months of June and July when we actually get into the field and start getting harvested. Um, but so far, reports are suggesting that we see maybe about 33% of acres abandoned, which would be, if realized, the highest percentage since World War One according to the USDA. Yikes, that's uh, not a good statistic to be a part of. Uh, well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what abandonment looks like, because I remember those conversations after the derecho up here in Iowa. However, the American Farm Bureau Federation is still hard at work. They're announcing today the signing of two new memorandums of understanding with ag manufacturers, Kubota and Agco. The MOUs are said to cover 70% of ag machinery sold in the U.S. now, according to the similar agreements already in place with John Deere and Case New Holland. 
The latest MOUs come about a month later as far as those discussions go. This gives farmers and independent repair companies in all 50 states, as well as Puerto Rico, access to Agco and Kubota manuals, tools, product guides, information for self-diagnosing and self-repairing machines, as well as support from the manufacturers. Kubota agreed to allow farmers to independently and independent repair shops to either purchase or subscribe to their diagnostic tools. And it looks like Agco's agreement says nearly the same thing, almost identical to Kubota's. The company agrees to sell, lease, or allow subscriptions to Agco Tech, connect their diagnostic and or Agco electronic diagnostic tools. So the MOU will cover manuals and all the items I previously discussed. The American Farm Bureau Federation's President Zippy Duval states here that farmers and ranchers are urged to find private sector solutions. And now they will have access to the tools necessary to keep their equipment running and keep food on the table for families across America. So another big win there for the farmer as we continue to get these uh, agreements put in place. Yeah, I saw that big headline here today as well, Tanner. Another big headline coming to us from the equipment industry. CNH Industrial has announced a spraying collaboration with One Smart Sprays spraying system, adding it to their pipeline of options for farmers. The agreement integrated with One Smart Spray integrates the system led by Raven Industries and will be commercially available on Case IH and New Holland Agricultural Equipment. This agreement will fast track enhancements to the equipment's precision and automated spraying capabilities. And one smart spray is one smart spray, that's a mouthful, is a joint venture between Bosch and BASF focused on providing high precision spraying. But this technology, Tanner, has a 95% application accuracy according to their website. So could be an exciting tool for farmers coming down the pipeline. Yeah, that will be. And it'll be kind of neat to see if we can get more details on that as the second round of trade show seasons pick up this fall. We're now getting... Uh, land record updates from Jim Rothrich, an Iowa appraiser. He had written an article here in conjunctions with Tyne Morgan for AgWeb, seeing a sudden slowdown in farmland prices potentially after a rapid run-up in land values over the last two years, creating historic levels. The dynamics might be starting to shift as input prices and interest rates are both climbing at the same time as commodity prices are free falling potentially. When you look at the rural Main Street Index from Creighton University, which polls bankers, the estimated farmland prices last year rose 4.3%, but stated over the next 12 months, they expect to see 0% growth. When you reach into Jim Rothermich's data, he continues to track land auctions across the state of Iowa. And he says, alarmingly, there's been more no sales at auction. The biggest surprise is the change in purchasing trends. The number of auctions that resulted in a no sale was more than double the previous average. The already looking at five for the month of May, but that is completely above the historical levels for or no sales in the past. Jim Rothermich is presenting even a potential for a 10% correction in land values over the next 12 months. You've got bankers saying staying flat. Jim saying that the values are indicated that they will potentially drop 10%. He's been seeing fewer high-priced land sales 
In 2022, 19 different farms sold for more than $20,000 an acre. In 2023, so far, he's only had one farm sell for more than $20,000 an acre. So what do you think, Delaney? Do you think land values are going to go back down? Oh, man, Tanner, that's not painting a very good picture, is it? <laughs> it's not unless you want to be a buyer. Then we needed to go down a lot faster than that. Yeah, no kidding. Well, farmers and ranchers who suffered losses due to natural disasters the last few years will receive some additional aid. According to Secretary Vilsack, $3.7 billion in aid is going to be coming here over the next few months. As announced by Secretary Vilsack today, the USDA also announced $500 million in additional funding for the Regional Conservation Partnership Program and $103 million to defray marketing costs for organic dairy farmers this year. Through a streamlined process, the USDA said that it intended to send pre-filled applications directly to eligible producers in early summer, and there will be separate applications for producers who did not utilize USDA's risk management tools such as crop insurance last year. But the USDA said they announced the assistance in advance so that producers could begin now to gather those proper documents. But I thought that was unique, Tanner, that the applications are already going to come pre-filled out for you for the most part. Yeah, they've certainly got a lot of data. Uh, it's interesting to see where these all little pockets come in when you get as narrow as organic dairies and other demographics as such for farmers. But there's hopefully going to be a little bit additional support for the state grain fund, the Iowa Grain Indemnity Fund Board held their four, is set to now hold four appeal hearings that will cover 11 claims that were not honored. And those will start on May 26th. Several farmers are seeking compensation because of their soybean dealer bankruptcy. And those who claim the state partially or wholly denied its considerations will get their claims reviewed next week at the appellate level. Nearly $230,000 worth of claims made to the indemnity fund will now be looked at on a second level of review. The board weighed in on claims totaling more than $3.2 million last month due to the bankruptcy of Global Processing Inc. of Kananawa in Northern Iowa. The board rejected one and a half million of those claims. Most of the reasons those were rejected as they occurred more than six minutes, six months before the suspended license. And the state law dictates when claims need to be made, and that's within 30 days of not getting paid. Fund pays farmers 90% of their losses up to 300,000. Some of the claims have been rejected, mentioned that uh, there was additional time between claims being made, long dormant fees overdue, as well as a potential for hitting that max level on those sides of things. But we will continue to watch what that appeal process looks like, and maybe some of these farmers can get additional support. Well, then I have just one final quick headline here. The USDA announced an atypical case of BSE in a five-year-old cow at a slaughter plant in South Carolina. This animal never entered into any supply chain or slaughter chains, and they're saying poses no present risk to food security, food supply, or human health, but nonetheless, they received that and made that announcement here. Uh, this is the nation's seventh detection of BSE in total. Six of the cases were back in 2003. So this is definitely um, a, an important one because this is the seventh we've ever seen, but 
not supposed to be anything major, just something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, and I've just got some quick headlines before we get into markets here. Uh, Ukrainian sabotage group crossed into Russia and attacked a town in Belogorod. The region there suffered at least eight people of injuries, and the Ukrainian officials are saying, however, that this was an independently operated Russian nationals group. Ukraine states it's also holding on to part of the Bakhmut city where Russian private military groups are saying they still seize the control of the eastern portion of that city. And again, UN nuclear watchdogs are watching over the nuclear power plant the Ukraine has currently occupied power of, saying it's extremely vulnerable in a position after they briefly, briefly lost power. And that is a cause for concern for future maneuvering. The U.S.'s commitment to providing F-16 fighter jets is not a cure-all, as the Ukrainian president is asking for Joe Biden to also provide pilots. We'll see what direction that heads. But I'm out with headlines for today. Well, Dan, we're taking a look at the markets today. We got a nice little pop, especially in the old crop contracts here. July corn added 16 and a half cents to close at 571. New crop corn added nine and a quarter cent, closing at 509 even in the soybean pits, the July contract added 34 cents today to close at 1341 and a quarter. No new crop beans added 21 and a half cents, closing the day out at 1197. Hard red July winter wheat also had a little bit of upside momentum, adding a penny and a half here today to close at 825 and three quarters. In the livestock pits, June live cattle shed 67 and a half cents at a buck 65.05. August feeders lost 20 cents today to close at 234.90. And June lean hogs shed $1.20, closing at 81.82 and a half. So, you know, let's turn it over to our Market Monday conversation today with Garrett Toy. Well, folks, we are having someone back to the podcast we haven't had on in quite some time, but a very prevalent voice in the industry, Garrett Toy with Ag Trader Talk, owner over there at Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, thanks so much for joining us today. We certainly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Lenny, for having us on. So, Garrett, as we sit here today, I, I want to start with wheat because we saw last week's Kansas wheat tour recorded some pretty low yields. We also have seen now some reports suggesting we're going to see some huge wheat acres abandoned this year. What's your outlook right now for winter wheat moving forward? You know, I it's I saw the article talking about the abandonment. I think that was a kind of a foregone, foregone conclusion, rather, uh, that that was going to happen. Um, I think that the Kansas Wheat Quality Tour um basically confirmed what we had already feared you know they've they've got a multiple year drought out there i mean we've kind of seen it uh, uh dictate the trade uh for the last 18 months so um yeah i think they're kind of reiterating things um i think ultimately we've already a lot of this is already baked in and um you've got the kansas city hard red wheat premium over chicago trading at all-time highs um and uh you know we basically have two dichotomies within the wheat complex you've got a soft red wheat which is chicago wheat which um has zero demands um and it's basically dictated by the russian market and then you have these higher protein wheat in kansas city um that um um you know we've had droughts and we're going to have a, a record small crop on so ultimately um i think a lot of this is baked in the question is is, is um 
you know, where do those acres go? Um, you know, whether they're going to go to soybeans or, or corn, uh, probably leaning, you know, there's not enough moisture out there to even think about corn, in my opinion. So it's probably going to either soybeans or potentially sorghum. Um, but um, it, it's going to be another hard year for the for the, the Kansas City wheat crops. I mean, we've already seen the premiums here. Um, and there's we don't know enough again about Minneapolis at this point. You've kind of seen... Um, the market assume, you know, we knew about the slow planning complaints, um, you know, the North Dakota situation, um, the way the spring has kind of unfolded, it hasn't turned out to be a um, you know, wildfire type situation yet. They've been, you know, plodding along here, been able to get some crop work done, but the calendar is approaching. It's May 22nd. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, prevent plant dates are coming up uh, uh, pretty quickly. And, uh, um, this this market's going to have to make up its mind, or the farmer in Northern Plains is going to have to make up their mind as far as what they're going to do for uh, prevent plant. And and you've got you had six million acres last week, uh, even in corn and row crops uh, in North Dakota still have to be planted. And I just think this market is very complacent, um, you know, right now because we've had a big sell-off. I mean, the market's trying to readjust and reposition here, but um, there's just a lot of a lot of uh, proverbial irons in the fire here. Sorry, kind of got away from your wheat question there, but there's there's just a lot of stuff to talk about. <laughs> no, I think you did great. I really appreciate that overview. And like you said, there's a lot to talk about because I have just saw a post on Twitter that asked why nobody is talking about the seeds laying in dry dirt here in the I-State region. It's kind of been missing some of the rains as you look at the Illinois, Indiana, Ohio area how does planting progress look and now weather conditions look for some corn crops here in the midwest um from a sixty thousand foot view i mean the dry weather has been a benefit for the ice states to get planting in on time um now as far as germination is concerned yeah we could use a rain um you know everyone's watching that western drought which you know the last update we got from the cpc on the seasonal drought outlook showed that you know this was supposed to improve um but i have got customers in western iowa and in nebraska you know the the iowa uh, nebraska border that would certainly like to have some moisture right now you know lawns are already starting to turn it's not even memorial day you know that sort of thing um and that's not necessarily a proxy but we would like a rain you know so um you know that's the big thing and and i don't think that um it's like I said, it's an El Nino year. That doesn't necessarily um, protrude a drought per se, but um, you know, especially you know, for areas east of the Mississippi River, um, you know, moisture profiles have been fairly beneficial. So um, it's it's um, the market's just not the market's just not there yet. Um, even at this point, the market's main focus is market position, basically the fund position. Uh, the demand issues, and, and so far, a pretty decent start to planting. Here, you mentioned uh, prevent plant acres earlier. What do you think we're going to see coming out of the Dakotas? Because we are, as you mentioned, getting closer to insurance deadlines. Do you think we're still going to see people move forward? Um, I I don't think. I, the, we, we've kind of, timing-wise, it's, it's less than ideal. Because this market, with the market sell-off that we've had during the planting season, is, is telling the, that North Dakota farmer, <laughs> stop, you know, stop, don't plant. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's not really, the market break isn't necessarily, um, 
encouraging the farmer to you know really work those extra hours to pick up those extra acres that sort of thing um you know i think that you're looking at northern acres uh well may 25th is is the prevent plant for north dakota or the, the last 100% plant date uh, or insurance day, I should say, May 25th is the end of the week, June 10th for soybeans. But, um, you know, I don't think there's necessarily uh, uh, an incentive for the farmer to to uh, carry on corn if they haven't gotten corn. So tonight's crop progress numbers are going to be pretty interesting to see um, as far as what uh, planting is. is. And, um, you know, if you look at last Monday, like I said, um, Last Monday, we had uh, 3.6 million acres of, of corn unplanted in North Dakota based off of the March intentions, and we had 6.4 million acres of beans. And I think that you could see, you know, last year we had one to three million acres of prevent plant up there, up in that region, and I think that you could see a similar type number depending on what kind of progress they've had because uh, the forecast for them still looks to be fairly wet. And as you look at soybeans today, we saw a nice run up in prices. What's driving that movement? Well, again, this is another big factor, but the, the market, this market has been in a cleanse. We've had a lot of market length. Um, we've kind of had this tra tradition of new crop balance sheets. And we talked about it. We, you know, Ag Trader Talk talked about it last month, is that, you know, that the, tr the, the transition from old crop to new crop uh, corn carryout is going to be the fourth largest on record um, for the Miri report. And uh, you know, you've got a fund in corn, you've got a fund in wheat that have already thrown in the towel. And um, you've got a big long in the bean market that basically was looking around wondering what their exit strategy was. And we've had this market structure cleanse um, that's washed everything out, that's kind of taken precedent over every other matter. So that cleanse might have pushed us a little bit cheaper than where we needed to go. Um, if you look at a chart, if you look at seasonal charts, uh, especially like November beans, you know, 11, November beans under 1190, we are looking over the abyss. Of these higher, or these tighter stocks to use years, of these tighter stocks to use years, um, you know, if we break 1190, we're looking towards $11 beans. And considering the world stocks use situation, we don't, I don't think we necessarily warrant that. Um, so we kind of stopped where we needed to stop as far as importance and, and technical levels. Here today in particular too, especially old crop corn, we saw pretty good movement to the upside here. What's going on this Monday morning or Monday afternoon to pop things higher? I think it's a little bit of reversion to the mean trade, I and mean, we've seen a lot of selling. We've seen a lot of selling in the July and old crop, new crops contracts last week because of, you know, we just, you know, we don't have any export demand. Um, we have strong demand on the interior, but you know, we had the Chinese cancellations. Um, you know, the the U.S. Ex soybean export program is basically fully transitioned over to South America. Um, if you look at the amount of, we're not, we haven't been selling anything on export sales for the last four to six weeks. And if you look at unshipped commitments combined for corn and soybeans, um, it's the smallest since, since 2012. So if we're not selling anything and we don't really have anything to load um, to ship, then, you know, why are we at these premiums? And there was a lot of discussion within the trade whether, um, you know, the interior market is enough to, support these spreads the way they are, um, they're going to be volatile. I think you're just seeing some bounce back here. And, and like I said, you've, the, the cash that we follow, the ethanol margins are extremely strong. 
um, and bases firmed in most areas that we tracked last week. So, um, you know, I think you've seen the, the spread correction kind of end here as well. I think they've realized that, you know, the farmer is sitting here somewhat shell-shocked um, that they're not going to sell anything at these levels after what they've had for the last 18 months. Not that the farmer necessarily is in a cash flow position that really needs to sell anything. I think the biggest concern for the U.S. farmer is is the earliness of this break in grain. I think the U.S. farmer is severely undersold on new crop versus where they want to be. Um, typically, you know, we start breaking in April, right? You know, when the planters first got in the field, um, and we we don't typically see this kind of sell-off until June. And the fact that the break came 60 days early, um, I think it caught a lot of people, to be honest with you. Just given the phone calls I've had um, with producers, are like, eh, you know, I'm not as sold on new crop as I want to be, you know, that sort of thing. And um, you know, it's just again, it's timing-wise, it's, it's bad timing because the market is just trying to reposition itself um, from a tight old crop situation to a, what's expected to be a loose new crop situation um, and, uh, you know, in seasonal tendencies, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I follow that exactly, but probably should talk a little livestock before we wrap up today. What are you seeing in that sector? Well, we started the week off weaker here. Uh, cash, from what I saw, was fairly steady on the week, I believe. Uh, actually, I take that back. It looked like it's a dollar higher. Um, so the market kind of feels a little bit tired in here. Um, I've continually disappointed in the hog market um, that we just cannot seem to find a bottom in here. Uh, but fat cattle, um, you know, this market's kind of weaker. I think it's more of a reaction um, to the real crops rallying and corn rallying. Um, you know, we, we took some of these, um, you know, some of these futures uh, back to the highs here last week, and I think you're seeing some profit taking, um, but it's kind of disconnected from the cash a little bit. Here, before we let you go, if any of our listeners would like to follow along with you on social media or pick your brain a little further, how can they find you? Sure. We're on Twitter, Ag Trader Talk. Um, you know, I don't typically put a lot of content out just considering um, who our client base is. I should probably have more of a personal account out there than the Ag Trader Talk account. But uh, and they can sign up for a free trial at www.agtradertalk.com. Um, but Twitter's our main social media. We don't really do much out there, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, sign up for a free trial. Our client base ranges from farmers, um, all the way up to hedge funds and everybody in between. Um, we talk a lot about spreads and basis. Um, you know, so if you're a little bit more advanced of a marketer, um, we might be uh, a good fit for you. Great. Well, Garrett, thank you again for joining us today to chat markets. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Call me anytime. There you go, listeners. What a great way to start your week. Be back with us again tomorrow. We'll keep the latest headlines and ag news coming right to you. Delaney, what a good way to start it off. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.